There's such a difference between religion and Christianity. Christianity is revealing, and the Holy Spirit is the great revealer. Well, hey everyone, welcome to the House of Bliss podcast, your favorite show you've never heard of, and the internet's best kept secret. It is a beautiful day here in the Slavic Village neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio, where the birds are singing and the gunshots are ringing. If you were to take a walk outside right now, you would be bathed in beautiful 65 degree sunlight weather. You would be surrounded by a canopy of green trees, soft grass, and woodland creatures, and inexplicably, wild turkeys right here in the middle of the city. Yeah, that's right. I live in a highly urban area, and not once, but twice have I seen wild turkeys roaming the streets. At least I assume they're wild, because I don't know anybody who owns turkeys. Uh, But one time, literally, I, I took a step outside and taken off about 25 to 30 miles an hour, just in a straight beeline, a turkey ran right past me. And I remember thinking, what? What is this place that I call home? But it is very near and dear to my heart. And speaking of near and dear to my heart, I want to give a huge, massive thank you to my patron family. Uh, Due to all the corona gunk, I honestly had no idea what my income situation was going to be like. I myself was laid off from my job for a time. I know many of you probably were as well. And I was... Uh, you know, sort of expecting to see a dip in my Patreon income, but actually you guys blew my mind. I saw the biggest leap in in one month that I ever have in doing this show. So thank you guys. So I want to give a big shout out to my newest patrons. You know who you are. You are Matthew, Katie, Nick, Amanda, and Nicole. Guys, thank you seriously from the bottom of my heart. I get to do this every day with the amount of effort that I do because of you guys giving. And so if you are hearing that and you want to join this super special, secret, elusive club of cool people, all you've got to do is visit the link in the description of this episode where you go to show notes, find the thing that says Patreon, click there, sign up. Any amount of monthly giving, whether it's as little as a dollar a month or as much as a million bucks a month. And somebody out there, if you want to do that, please do not hesitate. I will personally fly to your country and give you the biggest high five or other token of appreciation as the CDC allows. Well, anyway, hey, I am so excited to continue this series. And if you're listening to this, you're probably like, Maybe noticing that I left off with this series several months ago, actually all the way back in September of last year. And the reason for that um, (laughs) was I wanted to do the House of Haunted Scriptures, and then that got me all sidetracked, and then I just kept wanting to talk about other things and other things, and yeah, well, this is the life of somebody with ADD. They call it a disorder, but I call it a blessing, even though it can feel like taming a wild bronco in my head. I have learned to make it work for me. But that being said, with all the stuff going on right now, uh, listen, as I'm recording this, last night, the entire downtown of Cleveland 
was completely destroyed, uh, vandalized. Um, just a really crazy time to be alive, just coming out of quarantine and now seeing riots happen. What on earth? But I want to say that it is still my deepest conviction that the message of the cross is still the most potent and life-changing message of all. And I want to continue to explore its meaning with you all for the years and years to come. And so if you can believe it, after five whole episodes of dissecting the meaning of the cross, we are just getting started. And so really quickly, what I want to say is if this is your first time listening to my show or you came on recently and haven't listened to the rest of this series, The Glories of the Cross, stop. At the very least, go back and listen to part A of this particular message. It's called The Glories of the Cross, part five, Into the Garden, part A, because it is imperative that you understand when and where you live in the timeline of human history. What we often call heaven or the new creation or eternal life is already here. It's now. And the old is passing away, as it says in 1 John. Well, in part A, I went on a deep dive into the Bible to explain this concept. And so if you don't have that foundation, what I'm going to talk about today just won't make nearly as much sense. So as I always say, grab a snack, grab some coffee, because we are going even deeper into the deepest deep dive I know of on the cross. One of my West Coast friends out there, Ryan, uh, told me that one of his uh, his Sunday tradition has been to uh, enjoy a cigar on his porch while listening to this show. That sounds like a fabulous idea. When we return, we're going to see just how deep this thing goes. There have been a few times where I've had the experience of waking up from a dream in which I'm holding a solid object. It felt like the object was dissolving or shrinking into nothing as I grew more conscious. It's a pretty disorienting feeling to realize that an object that I felt so sure I was holding in my hand didn't actually exist. Have you ever had that feeling where you wake up from a dream that felt so real that you have to look around the room to to figure out where the heck you even are? Well, you see, there are verses that talk about how the old or Adamic creation is passing away. And there are also verses saying that it has passed away. So which is it? Well, I believe that in the truest sense, God has made all things new. We are living in a brand new era, kingdom, dimension, reality, whatever you want to call it. And this is reality as it has always existed from God's vantage point. But our experience and awareness of this fact hasn't yet caught up. If faith and manifestation are connected 
What happens when billions of people have faith in the reality of evil? Well, it seems to me that the collective faith of humanity is somehow propping up this long dead creation. But how real is the old creation? Just like with my dreams, I can try to fight to stay asleep. Like, have you ever tried to go back into a dream? Dreams don't really work that way. We know this. But some people, they want to hang on to sin and death and the devil as their reality. It feels real. It looks real. Most everyone we know accepts it as real. And we might even have vivid experiences of these things. But ultimately, the whole of creation was born again when Christ, who holds all things together, took it into the grave with him and raised it up to life again. He swallowed up death and humanity is waking up and there will be no going back to that nightmare anymore. You see, heaven, contrary to what so many of us are taught, is not another place. It's not in some spirit realm out there. And the destruction of this world described in the New Testament is not a literal torching of every created thing. It is, though, a transfiguration. It is a final waking up to and revealing of the summation of all things in Christ. It is what happens when God's reality and our experience line up. And so what I want to explore now is the question, what does this brand new world look like? What does it mean to participate in and advance that world? Paul the Apostle wrote an amazing pair of letters to Timothy, his right-hand guy. These letters are a great glimpse into what Christian ministry is really all about. Um, And one of the things he says is, do the work of an evangelist. And he also says, defend the truth. Now, in the past, I had always heard people talk about how that means we need to, you know, defend six-day creationism from atheists or whatever. But I don't think that's his real point. The work of an evangelist is to be so lost in the good news, so stuck on and acquainted with the new creation reality that we never lose sight of it no matter what we go through. The work of an evangelist is to witness to the finished work of Christ even when it seems like the whole world is conspiring to prove us wrong especially in the month of May. Can I get an amen? Is there someone in the house who knows what I'm talking about? The work of an evangelist is to help those who are experiencing hardship and remind them that their life is ultimately hidden in Christ. So Stephen, in the book of Acts, had very real stones thrown at him by very real and very angry enemies. And yet all he could say was, I see the Son of Man. He saw heaven opened. He saw Jesus at the right hand of the Father, even as rocks were plowing into his head. 
And so whether it's healing, deliverance, inner healing, or preaching, all Christian ministry flows out of this revelation. Ministry is walking that line between validating and standing with those in pain, yet never taking our eyes off the Son of Man at the right hand of the Father. You know, it's amazing to me that on one hand, God doesn't need us. Jesus took it upon himself to take fallen man into his grave and raise us into his newness of life. If we learned anything at all from the Old Testament, it's that mankind can't handle a relationship with God. And this is why God made a whole new covenant that is upheld on both sides by him. We cannot add to that saving act, and we also can't undo it. We can actively fight it as hard as we want, but the government of God is expanding each and every day with or without our help. And so our participation doesn't mean that we need to save the world. But on the other hand, God wants and invites us to join him in imagining and creating a new world. And if need be, to shine his light to expel any clinging shadows of the fall. You see, he has amazing works for each one of us to step into that we were designed for before the foundation of the world. It is a true delight and privilege to partner with God, and that is really what I want to get down to exploring. There is an invitation in the empty tomb to expand the horizons of our imaginations, not just to envision a world where all the wrongs have been righted, but to explore what lies beyond that threshold. A world with no problems to fix? What would we even do all day? And that is exactly it. So here's my game plan for this series. Before we dive into the future... We need to talk about what being in the garden means for the present. And so if we're going to continue to obey the command of Jesus to preach the gospel to all creation, we have to understand what the gospel means for all creation. And this was originally going to be one episode, but as I was writing, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm definitely going to have to break this up into chunks. So we are now dealing with a series within a series within a series. But if that kind of thing scared you, you wouldn't be a house of blisser. Am I right? So what we're going to do today is we're going to begin to talk about what Jesus has restored. But in order to understand that, we need to look at what was lost. So when we come back from this little break, we're going to dive back in to my favorite book of the Bible, Genesis. If you've ever read the New Testament, you might have noticed a lot of talk about the curse. There are actually many curses because there are several covenants. But primarily, I think when you see the curse, it's a shorthand that refers to the overarching results of the fall of man. Uh, The curse is often contrasted with the blessing of Abraham. 
So in Genesis, before Adam and Eve sin, God said, if they ate the fruit, they would die. Not that he'd kill them, but that if they disobeyed, their actions would open the door to sin, which was seeking to enslave them. And after that happened, of course, the Bible says this. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree of which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life, and it will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, and from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So remember here, Adam and Eve were in charge of the microcosmic garden. So this whole narrative is not just about some weirdly specific curse about farming and babies. No, these curses are pointing right at the heart of what's really, really wrong with the world. So one could see this list in both a literal and allegorical light at the same time. And through that lens, I see three main parts to the curse of the fall. First, disruption of intimacy or improper relationships between humans. Second, the curse of toil. And lastly, death and corruption. So let's boil that down to three categories. Sexual immorality, selfishness, and death or violence, which is just partnership with death. What's also interesting is that in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses gave three specific laws for the future kings of Israel, and these laws were supposed to act as a safeguard to keep those future kings from becoming corrupt. So this is what Deuteronomy says, Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, since the Lord God has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Now, horses here is a is sort of a figure of speech here for armies or military might, violence. Okay, then it goes on to say, he shall not multiply wives for himself or else, or else his heart will turn away, and nor shall he greatly increase gold and silver for himself. But if you think about it, if you read the stories, almost every single king introduced insane levels of broken sexuality, brutal violence, conquest, and rampant greed. So if we think about every single problem happening today, I think we could boil it down and eventually trace it back to this moment in Genesis. Now, lastly, one more quick note before we before we go on here, um, but my favorite Old Testament scholar, Michael Heiser, notes that Westerners always tend to think of Genesis 3 as the fall or the reason behind the reason for why everything is messed up. But actually, in Jewish theology, they also take into account Genesis 6, which is where you get that strange little passage about fallen angels mating with women. And if you want... Um, you can read that whole story in much more detail 
in the book of Enoch. But beyond that, um, the Tower of Babel was seen as sort of a third and final component of three falls. And so maybe on another day, we can explore those more fully together. And I'll probably touch on those a little bit today, but for time's sake, I'm just going to stick mostly with Genesis 3. So let's talk about the curse on human relationships. You see, it's not just sex and babies. I think if you look at what's really going on here, it can be summed up as a disruption of intimacy, which is the engine that all of creation runs on. Now, I don't just mean intimacy between a man and a woman. As I said in part A, Eden is a microcosm of the universe, meaning that this story represents and affects all of creation. So if the dynamic was thrown off between Adam and Eve, then the dynamic was thrown off for all creation. So eventually my wife Katie and I are going to do a whole episode about sex and babies and childbirth and how if we have been lifted from the curse, what does pain-free childbirth look like? What is um, the, you know, the roles of men and women? What does all that stuff actually look like without the curse of the fall? So I'm going to save a lot of that for a, a future day, but we are going to talk about it briefly here. If we back up and look over the curse over women, particularly as a whole, what do we see? Well, I see first that fruitfulness is inextricably linked to intimacy. Babies are born typically out of an overflow of passionate relationship. One of the revolutionary things we see about Genesis as compared to other ancient creation stories is that it asserts that God created out of joy, that the Father, Son, and Spirit who exist in a family of joyous, other-giving love created you and I to be an overflow of that divine, endless circle. We are here because of the joy and passion of the triunal family of God. But we're not just here to stand around. No, when the Bible says that God created the vegetation, it uses the word dasha. Say dasha. Dasha means to spring forth and it carries the sense of motion. See, the plants grow and keep growing and keep making more plants that make more plants. And so all of creation is constantly growing and moving and expanding with life. So what I'm saying is that the stability, creativity, and love of the family of God created people who create people who create people in that framework. Passionate intimate relationship is the bedrock principle at the heart of all of creation. And sex is meant to be a holy act of selfless love that reflects the divine image of diversity among unity and reinforces the covenant relationship between man and woman. You see, the Bible begins with a marriage in Eden and ends with a marriage in Zion. So this covenantal marital love is the core of everything. If you mess with that, you mess with everything. And so we see two things go wrong here. 
The first is that instead of a beautiful, equal partnership between men and women, they developed a selfish suspicion of each other. Men developed a propensity to mistreat and use and objectify women for self-gratification. And man was not created to rule over or use women, but man was created to rule over creation alongside the woman in mutual submission. As Paul says, submit to one another in love. But along with that, Adam was also tasked with keeping the garden. And the word keep here is shamar. It's a priestly word, and it reveals that Adam was supposed to defend Eden, and more particularly his bride from evil. But rather than defend his wife from the serpent, he gave in to cowardice, and then he turned around and blamed her for it. And so even now, cowardice is a disease that often rears its ugly head for men. It's this need for men to measure up or prove themselves, and it wreaks havoc. Uh, Katie and I were just watching that movie, Crazy Rich Asians, and spoiler alert. There's a scene where a woman uh, walks out on her cheating husband, and she delivers this line. She says, It's not my job to make you feel like a man. I can't make you something that you're not. But the story goes on to say this, that the woman's desire will be for her husband. Now, some commentators have noted that this isn't about women having sexual desire, which is a good thing. Can I get an amen, fellas? Amen! But rather, it is a veiled way of saying that she will develop resentment and have the desire to undermine or destroy. So again, essentially here, if you have the two people that represent all people at each other's throats in competition, and now the very act that was meant to renew their marital covenant, echo the creative image of the divine, and carry the human race forward is now full of shame, suspicion, selfishness, pain, and manipulation. The holy act of procreation was distorted into various things like human trafficking, rape, and other forms of abuse like porn, prostitution, so on and so forth. But it's so much bigger than sex and babies. This is about the whole human race. Family is the engine, the glue, the thing behind the thing for all of human life to work. Think about the kinds of brokenness that result from shattered families. Poverty, crime, and mental illness skyrocket in households without fathers. All of this piles on top and feeds this nasty beast that leaves children abandoned and in the hands of the state, or worse, devours them with abortion. Now, I am not saying that to lay blame on individuals, especially in our deeply complicated world, but I am trying to pose the question, do you see how much evil rippled out into creation because of the distortion of family? And all of that is right here in Genesis. It also introduced individualism. 
You see, rather than the earth being filled with many families that ultimately make up one big human family under one true father, we began to see ourselves as separate. It's about me and mine. And actually, I like what you have, so I think I'll take it by force. Nations at war can all be boiled down to these simple concepts. But thank God in Jesus Christ, we are set free from this. And this is where we get into one of the most beautiful truths of the cross. You see, we tend to think of God in the same light that we think of each other, that he wants to use us, that his end goal is ultimately to extract a loveless kind of submission, that he's suspicious of us and therefore is going to hold back from us. Well, this is our fallen projection onto the character of God. And in some deeper way, this is our broken masculine projection inherited by the sons of men being projected onto Father God. But on the cross, Jesus, the Son of Man, came down to our level and submitted himself to our abuse. He wasn't suspiciously scrutinizing us at arm's length. He knew exactly how vile our intentions were, and yet he never held back his love, even to the point of death, even though that with a blink of his eyelashes, he could have all of his oppressors obliterated by his might. But when we had exhausted all of our abuse into his broken body, he rose from the dead with open arms and welcomed us to his family table. When we had selfishly drained every last drop of his blood, we had only just begun to stumble into the infinite well of his selfless love for us. And this is what happens when our cold and hard hearts see that kind of love on display. It fundamentally shifts something inside of us. Jesus prayed in John 17 to the Father, I have given them the glory that you gave to me, that they may be one as we are one. So no longer is it about individuals fighting for their place in the world, but by putting us within himself, Jesus actually gave us his very own place in the family of God. And at the head of this household, we have a father who will never, ever leave for us. He provides for us. He cares for us. He speaks to us. He encourages us. In fact, he comes running for us in our darkness. And as 1 Peter says, we have been born again, and this new life will last forever. Furthermore, it is because of our shame that we backbite and attack and undermine and sabotage each other. But Jesus bore our nakedness on the cross. And rather than a temporary covering of animal skins, he gave us the eternal covering of his blood. And in him, we are free from competition, free from hiding, free from shame, free from grudges. And so this is what I dream of, that I will get to see with my own eyes the fulfillment of Psalm 22, that all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord 
and all of the families of the nations will bow down before him. So I just want to prophesy this, that when the families of the earth turn their face to Jesus, they will be transfigured into that mirror image once again. And we will see abandonment, abortion, and abuse give way to adoption, nurturing, and adoration. The hearts of the children will finally turn back to the fathers and the fathers to the children. And that might sound like some far off dream, but remember, when the old world feels more real, it is simply a fading nightmare. And so in the midst of this buffet of craziness that 2020 is serving up to us, I want to invite all of us to gaze intently at Jesus and see that it truly is finished. Jesus said, lift your eyes and see that the harvest is ripe. Early on in this series... I said that the cross has something to say to every part of life. And so I want to read these lyrics to you from a song by one of my favorite artists, Godfrey Bertle. This is from his song, When I Look at the Blood. And just especially right now, I want to invite you to look at Jesus and really encounter and feel these words. He says, When I look at the blood... All I see is love. When I stop at the cross, I can see the love of God. But I can't see competition. I can't see hierarchy. I can't see pride or prejudice or the abuse of authority. I can't see lust for power. I can't see manipulation. I can't see rage or anger or selfish ambition. I can't see unforgiveness. I can't see hate or envy. I can't see stupid fighting or bitterness or jealousy. I can't see empire building. I can't see self-importance. I can't see backstabbing or vanity or arrogance. But I can see surrender, sacrifice, salvation, humility, righteousness, faithfulness, grace, forgiveness, and love. My friends, if you've been holding on to grudges, if your relationships on earth here are marked by jealousy, anger, pettiness, or fighting, I want to invite you to stop and take a good, long look at the sacrificial love of Jesus. It is not just an example to follow, but when you ponder the depths of Christ's humility and preserving love, when you see the price that he paid for each and every human life, no matter how confused or twisted they've become, suddenly that love supernaturally overtakes your heart. It is in this open-hearted, undefensive living that you find yourself living right in the middle of God's original dream for humanity. So let's just pray. Jesus, I thank you that your blood speaks a better word over us, that you were the innocent victim who was killed on our behalf, and your blood doesn't cry out for our destruction, but it speaks of our innocence. 
not just our innocence, but the innocence of every single human being alive on this planet, no matter how perverse or wicked or twisted their thinking has become, you went to the ends of the earth for them. You went all the way to the grave and back for them. And so, Lord, I pray that you would begin to release encounters over the people listening, that they would have dreams and visions and experiences and ecstasies where they would feel and truly know deep in the core of their being your selfless love. God, I could talk about it all day long. I could write the most eloquent words and make the best podcast ever known, but if people don't encounter your love for themselves, then I'm just talking. So Holy Spirit, do what only you can do and set off revelation like a bomb in our spirits, especially as we go into these days ahead. So I just speak to you the love, love, love of your Father. Feel His heart for you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the House of Bliss podcast. If you'd like to support this ministry, it is super easy to do so. All you've got to do is go down and hit the link in the description, visit our Patreon page, and sign up. Any amount of monthly giving is going to unlock all kinds of extras and behind the scenes rewards. Another quick and easy way you can support us is you can just give us a five star rating on whatever platform you're listening on. Each and every one of those goes a long way. I'm praying that God seals everything you heard today in your heart and that you stay rooted and grounded in his everlasting love. Thanks again. God bless.